We have celebrated Christmas, and it looks like we still are to some degree. Uh, Christmas conjures images of trees, of lights. For many of us, presents, what we're going to be getting. But for those who go by the name of Christ, those who call ourselves Christians, Christmas is also a celebration of that night long ago when the Son of God stepped down from His glory in heaven, took on flesh, was born, and was laid in a manger. And an angel choir sang a chorus. They announced this good news of Emmanuel, God with us, to shepherds. And I think it's very appropriate, very fitting, that such an announcement was made to what many of the time considered outcasts of society. Shepherds, by their very occupation, were not able to fulfill all the requirements of the regulations and the rules that the scribes and Pharisees had handed down, the various laws. They were considered unclean for the most part. And yet, Jesus in John 10 calls himself the good shepherd. Jesus associated himself with what society considered the very outcasts. And it's such a wonderful picture that we're going to take a look at that today, what Jesus means when he says he is the good shepherd. And what does that mean for those who are his sheep? So we'll be in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. But in setting this up, it's important to understand the context. John chapter 10 follows directly after John chapter 9. 9, 10. But the important part is, is there these, they happen at the same time, the same event, the same follow-through. In John chapter 9, John records Jesus' healing of a man who had been blind since birth. Well, the Pharisees got a hold of the man, and they started questioning him. And all the man could say was, hey, I was blind, but now I see, and it was this guy, Jesus. I don't know much else, but it was Jesus. Pharisees didn't like that, so they decided to kick him out. They excommunicated him in chapter 9, verse 34. They put him out. And so Jesus then does this in verse 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Which is a roundabout way of saying, do you believe in the Messiah? And the man answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? The man had been blind when Jesus healed him. Jesus put some mud, told him to go wash his face in the pool. And so the guy had never seen Jesus, but he had heard him. And so he says, who is he, Lord, that I might believe in him? And then in verse 37, Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and he is the one who is talking to you. Hey, I'm the guy. And the man said, Lord, I believe. A simple yet profound faith, a simple statement, I believe. And he worshiped him. And so Jesus then said, For judgment I came into this world, so that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. A great reversal. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to him, We're not blind too, are we? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But since you say we see, your sin remains. Basically, we're trying to find a way out. We're not blind. We're see, we see. And Jesus says, because you see, that's why you're guilty. You know what is right, and yet you do what is wrong. And so starting in chapter 1 of, verse 10, of chapter 10, we're going to go through, and Jesus explains what he means with an illustration. In verse 1, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, 
but climbs up some other way. He is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, because, but they will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. So this figure of speech, Jesus said, spoke to them, but they didn't understand what those things were which he was saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus goes on to say in chapter, in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And then the wolf comes and snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. There are two main sections here in this passage. Verses 1 through 6, Jesus tells them, not really a story, more of an illustration. It's not quite a parable. The New American Standard translated it as a figure of speech. It's an allegory. It's a statement where the image portrays a deeper reality. So Jesus tells them, starting in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Now, there are two main types of sheep pen or folds in ancient Israel. One was a wilderness pen, which the shepherd would go out and he would build himself using rocks and wood and brambles, something to keep the sheep in and safe and keep the robbers, wolves, and everything else outside. And the shepherd himself would lay down in that one entrance and he would essentially be the gate, be the door. The only legitimate way in was going through the shepherd. The other idea, the other sheep pen was a communal sheep pen where a bunch of shepherds would get together and they'd put their flocks into one big pen. They would hire somebody to stand at the door, a gatekeeper, who would then let the shepherds in and out because he recognized who those shepherds were. And so they would go about their business. And it's this, this second type of pen that Jesus seems to be referring to here because he references the gatekeeper letting the right shepherd in and the shepherd leading forth his sheep. Because the sheep heard his voice, they knew his voice, they followed after him, and they won't follow after strangers. But the Pharisees who were listening, they didn't get this. It says in verse 6, 
this figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, and they did not understand him. They didn't understand what he was saying. Now, it wasn't just the scribes and Pharisees who had problems with this. John likes to keep talking about how the disciples didn't understand a lot of what Jesus says. Sometimes we can be dense, and I know I can be. So Jesus then tells it to them again. He explains it. He expands upon it. He says in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now this brings to mind that picture of that wilderness pen where the shepherd had built, and he lays himself in the doorway, and only he allows his, his sheep or legitimate people being there into that fold. Now, what could be meant by this imagery that they didn't quite understand, they didn't quite get? Well, many think that when Jesus was referring to the sheep pen earlier, that communal sheep pen, he was talking about the, the religion of Judaism. The scribes and Pharisees had created a legalistic structure with laws and regulations that had to be followed to the very letter. And this hemmed people in. But it didn't just hem people in and restrict them where they couldn't legitimately go out and feed because in the sheep pen, you're not feeding. You're merely resting. You're staying there. But they also kicked people out, as we saw in chapter 9, verse 34, with the Pharisees in the synagogue. They kicked the man out. So Jesus says, I'm the door. I am the legitimate way into the flock of God. You may hem people in and you may kick people out, but when one enters through me, I am the door. I am the only way into God's flock. All who came before me, he says in verse 8, are thieves and robbers. And the sheep, but the sheep didn't hear them. Now, Jesus might be referring here to people who had come before him as false messiahs, people claiming to be the Messiah, claiming to be the Christ. But they weren't interested in actually the care and they weren't concerned about the sheep. They were in it for their own benefit, their own gain. They were out for their own glory and fame. But Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the shepherd who lays down in that doorway, that gateway. I am that man. He says this in verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, and Jesus is the only way, he says so himself later. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is the way into God's flock. He says, when anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Now, the word saved there, we often talk of saved, and we think delivered, you know, snatched, snatched up and moved away from danger. But the idea also of this Greek word, it's so theisatai, if you're interested in no Greek, is the idea of being protected. You're not just delivered from evil, you are protected from harm. Much like a shepherd would have, in defense of a sheep, he would have a stick, a, well, not yay big, studded with metal. And he would have a slingshot and stones. We think of David when we think of this. And he might have had a knife. And he protected his sheep. That's what he had to keep the wolves at bay, to protect them from robbers and thieves who were coming to steal, kill, and destroy, it says in verse 10. But Jesus didn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. He is not a pretender. He's not a false messiah. He is not concerned for his own welfare, but whether he is concerned for the sheep. He loves the sheep because he is the shepherd, as we will see. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, this isn't just referring to eternal life. 
This is a life lived in relationship in the here and now. The shepherd knows his sheep, and the sheep know their shepherd. And as such, there is this relationship involved there. And this relationship is enough that we, as sheep, who we'll see, can rely on that and have an abundant life. Look back at verse 9. The person who comes in will be saved, will be protected. But they'll also go in and out and find pasture. In the Old Testament, this phrase, will go in and out, refer to, the day, refer to daily life, the going out to feed, the coming in to rest of the sheep. They refer to everything that goes on, going out to work, eating, sleeping, just daily life. It had come to mean by the first century A.D., an expression that symbolized a life without fear, a life without anxiety, a life where you don't have to worry. As part of that, they will find pasture. And that is, they will, the sheep, whoever enters in through the door, will find nourishment, will be provided for, will be taken care of. And so there's a great picture of this, a great portrait of this in Scripture. And it's interesting, just listen and read the words of Psalm 23 as I read them. And just compare notes as, to far, as far as how it sounds. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that is such an amazing picture of God, a shepherd, tending and caring for his sheep. And it's a very similar picture to what Jesus says in verses 7 through 10, where he says, I've come to give life abundant, a life wherein I protect you even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I've got it under control. Daily life, you can trust me. You don't have to fear because you don't have to be anxious because I'm leading you and I know where I'm going. And so no matter what lies ahead, what concerns, food, water, paying the bills, debts, the fiscal cliff coming up, no matter what concerns there may be, Jesus says, trust in me. Those who come to me, who enter through me, will find protection, will find a life of peace. Jesus said, I give to you my peace. Not as the world gives peace, not as the world understands it, but my peace. And he also gives provision to those who enter in through him. So he carries the idea even further by coming right out and saying, I am the good shepherd in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep because he loves the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He provides a contrast in the following verses. Verses 12 and 13. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, which means the hired hand has no interest in the sheep. They're not there for his welfare. They don't 
provide for him. He is merely hired to stand there at the gate. He was a hired hand and not a shepherd who was not the owner, sees the wolf coming. This isn't just an idea of recognition. This is he observes the wolf coming from a distance. He knows that wolf is out there and knows that wolf is coming. And then what does he do? Does he go for help? Or does he stay and fight? No. He leaves the sheep and he flees. And the wolf then comes along and snatches the sheep and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He's not concerned about the sheep, verse 13 says. Now, the Pharisees understood what Jesus was talking about here. Because all of this, chapter 9 and chapter 10, occur in verse 22 of chapter 10, tells us this all, these all occur around the Feast of the Dedication. Uh, we call it Hanukkah. We just had Hanukkah back from the 8th to the 16th of past, this past December. Hanukkah was a celebration where they celebrated the rededication of the temple. Some invaders had come in, they had taken over the temple, and so the Jews rose up in revolt, not giving revolt, and they kicked the people out of the temple, and they rededicated it for service to God. Now, during this time period, they would read their Bible, the Old Testament passages, concerning shepherds, because the priests were considered shepherds of Israel, concerning what they were supposed to be doing. Jeremiah and Ezekiel particularly. And it's one passage in Ezekiel I would like us to go to and take a look at. It's in chapter 34. And it's a great passage. It's a scary passage for those of us who are in ministry. But it's a great passage. In verse 2 of chapter 34, God gets on to the leaders of Israel, the kings, the priests, the people who were supposed to be taking care of Israel. Instead, instead, in verse 2, He says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Shepherds are supposed to take care of the sheep. They're supposed to lead them to food. They're supposed to tend them. But the leavers, the shepherds of Israel weren't doing that. In fact, in verse 4, God indicts them, and he says, essentially, you didn't strengthen the sick. You didn't heal the diseased. You didn't bind up the broken. You didn't take those who had broken their legs and bind them up and carry them. You didn't bring back the scattered, the, the sheep that had scattered away. You didn't bring them back. And lastly, you didn't seek for the lost. But there is some good news in all of this, starting in verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself, God himself says, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. And then later in verse 15, he says this, I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. But the fat and the strong, I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. It's a great passage for it speaks of God's love and care for his people. He is stepping in to shepherd them. But for those of us who are going into ministry, who are in ministry, who are thinking about it, it's a passage that frightens me, to be honest, because it's no task to be taken up lightly. 
Shepherding God's flock is not an easy task. It's a hard task. But there's more in Ezekiel 34. All the way down in verse 23, God continues and says, after a period of time and some other discussions, then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. Now, David had long since been dead. So this isn't David, David, King David. But rather, this is a way to refer to the Messiah, the coming Christ. And he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So turning back to John 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's pointing back to Ezekiel 34. I am the one who is coming. I am the servant David coming to shepherd God's people. I'm not a hired hand like the Pharisees and the scribes that have hemmed you in, that have pinned you up or kicked you out. No, I care for you. I love you. And why? Verse 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. It's a wonderful picture of that relationship once again, that love that the shepherd has for his sheep. Because the shepherd spent so much time with the sheep, he would give them names based usually upon their quirks or physical characteristics. One might be spots. One might be stubborn as a mule. One might be gadfly, just jolly venting around. But he would give them names. He knew his sheep, and the sheep know him. And this relationship between shepherd and sheep is reminiscent of the idea of the relationship between the father and the son, that love that is there between father and son and son and father is the same relationship between shepherd and sheep and sheep and shepherd. And then he says this, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus here is saying, I am willing to die for my sheep. Why? Because they're his sheep. He loves them. He's pointing here to his death, to his crucifixion, I lay down my life for the sheep. I will die to protect my sheep because I love them so much. But it's not just about the crucifixion. Look down in verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Jesus doesn't look forward just only to his crucifixion, to his death. He's saying, I'm looking forward. And I'm saying, I'm not just going to die. I am going to be raised. He's pointing to the resurrection. Verse 18, no one has taken it away from me. Jesus, no one's forcing Jesus to go to the cross. No one forced Jesus to be executed. Instead, but I lay it down on my own initiative. Jesus went willingly to that cross. Voluntarily dying for those who would be his sheep. I have the authority to lay it down and to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. The love of the shepherd for his sheep is, is a passionate, immense love that knows the sheep by name. Each individual sheep is of ultimate concern for the shepherd. So we've seen Jesus as the door, as the shepherd who lays down and lets the sheep in and out. We have seen Jesus as the good shepherd who cares and loves for his sheep so much that he is willing and not only willing, he goes to die for them. But what about the sheep? 
Who are the sheep? And what are the sheep doing in all this? The short answer is that the sheep are those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. They have committed to following him as their Lord. But the long answer is more fun. So we're going to go through the long answer. In context of this passage, considering chapter 9 and chapter 10, Jesus here is talking about the flock of God as being the Jews. And only the Jews right now. Because he's talking about bringing them out of that hemmed up, pinned in legalistic Judaism that bound them down and kicked them out. And bringing them into the flock of God. But it doesn't end there. Good news for us, because none of us, maybe, some of us might be, are Jews or of Jewish descent. Verse 16. I have other sheep, Jesus says, which are not of this fold. I have other sheep which aren't Jews. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. And Paul illustrates this over in Ephesians chapter 2. And a great, he uses a different metaphor later in the chapter referring to building and building blocks and stones. But starting in verse 11, Paul of chapter 2, Paul writes, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, that is the Jews, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time, this is before Christ, separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, it will be a dark and gloomy day if that's where we stopped. But Paul goes on. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. It might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having put to death the enmity. Jesus is saying here, or Paul is saying that Jesus, with his death, which we saw that he was looking forward to, his, the laying down of his life, he would unite all the sheep that were, would be in God's flock. Jesus says, I'm breaking down all the barriers. It's not going to matter about ethnicity. It's not going to matter about race. It's not going to matter about where you're from. It's not going to matter your socioeconomic class. Jesus is saying, I break down all the barriers. And when you come through me, you are a sheep in God's one flock, and I am your one shepherd. So, back to the short answer. All those who place their faith in Jesus Christ, no matter backgrounds, no matter where they're from, no matter the life lived before, they are sheep in God's flock. And that's great news because Jesus loves the sheep of his flock so much he died for them. But the sheep do have some characteristics listed in this passage. Back in the first part of chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, doorkeeper opens to the shepherd and then the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And later on in verse 9, when the sheep enters in through Jesus, 
He will be saved. He will be protected. He will go in and out, and he will find pasture. Now, there are two key ideas here for us today, questions that I have to ask of myself, and so I'm asking them of you. The first question is, is, do I know the shepherd's voice? Do I hear the shepherd's voice? Now, I'm not talking about an audible voice or anything like that, but do you let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you in your daily life? Or have you, like sometimes sheep tend to do, wandered away from the flock, following after that patch of grass? And so you're far, you're far enough away that you don't quite hear the shepherd's voice. Because when we do that, we remove ourselves from that protection because the shepherd can't see us. Not that God can't see us. All illustrations fall short somewhere. But the thing is, we leave ourselves open to the thief and the robber and the wolves. So are we listening and following the leading of God, the leading of the good shepherd? The other question I have to ask of myself, and so I have to ask, so I have to ask of you, is am I trusting in the shepherd? The whole idea of entering in through the gate and being protected involves a measure of trust. Am I, one, trusting the Lord to lead me where he wants me to go? Even though it's through that valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because I trust in the shepherd. And I can trust in him to lead me through without fear because he lets me go in and out. And I can trust in him for provision that no matter what might come, he has taken care of my soul. And though even though I might die in, the, die in the flesh, I will be with him for eternity. It's an amazing thing. We don't have much to do to be sheep. Ask many people, sheep are some of the stupidest of animals. Sometimes we exhibit some of those same tendencies. But the thing is, the shepherd loves his sheep. He cares for his sheep. And he dies for his sheep. So, there are some things I want you to carry with you as we enter this new year. I want you to take these questions with you and ask them of you. Not on a daily basis, although that would be good, but occasionally think about it. Am I hearing Jesus' voice? Am I letting him be the shepherd of my life and to lead me? Am I following his direction? And then am I trusting him to take care of me, to provide for me, to protect me? Or am I going my own way and doing my own thing? Important things to ask of one another. So if you would join me in prayer real quick. Lord, we come to you. We pray that you will hear our voices in our hearts and in our minds as we cry out to you, seeking your direction. Lord, move amongst us here today that we might become sheep who follow you, the good shepherd. Lord, we thank you and we praise your name. Amen. If you have made a decision here today, uh, whether it's a recommitment to follow after Jesus as your shepherd, or if you have made a commitment that you've never made before. You haven't done that. Jesus stands ready and he's offering, he's calling your name and saying, come join me. I offer you a life abundant. I offer you all these things, this protection. I offer you this freedom from fear. 
I offer you this provision. And I offer you, most importantly, a relationship with myself, he says. So if you have made that decision, or if you have any question about anything that's been said here today, or if you've made any decision whatsoever today, we would ask that you come forward. We have ministers here at the front uh, who are willing and waiting for you to respond.